Happy Sabbath Anthem. We are so excited you joined us. I've got my uh, cold beverage, which you too could have if you joined us. Um, and I'm, I'm ready for worship. But before we get into it, wanted to remind you about a few things, especially if you are in the area. Especially, especially if you are a student that's going to be joining us here in the area soon here at Loma Linda University. We believe that it is time for us to step and be faithful to the calling that the Lord has put on our hearts. And so we are stepping into a new season, a new era for Anthem, where we are going to be starting two services. That's right. Normal service at 1030 a.m. And then we are going to start a second service at noon every Sabbath beginning October 2nd. Two services, October 2nd. We truly believe that we are being called into this. We sing about it regularly. We sing about walking on water. We sing in church song about stepping into the impossible, the unreachable. And that is where we are feeling called right now is to step into that second service space. So we hope that if you are in the area, you will join us for one of our new services beginning October 2nd. Additionally, if you are a student coming here to Loma Linda University, we are excited to offer you a very special student luncheon after the service on October 16. We're going to provide the food. All we're asking is that you come, you join us right here in the auditorium, in our space. We want to celebrate you. We want to welcome you. We want to give you ways to get involved and pour into you and love on you. So please plan on joining us for that on October 16, Sabbath, right after the second service. I think we're basically ready to get ready for worship. So let's prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, and step into a time of worshiping our Creator. Good morning. morning. It's good to see you here this morning. It's always a privilege to worship here together at Anthem. I just want to underline and extend my support to what Pastor Josh and Emily and the others on the Anthem crew are doing. It's exciting to see God working here in this space and in this place. So take your phones out for one more time, one more multiple choice quiz as we come to the end of this multiple choice series. You know the drill, there should be, and there is, kind of move out of your way here. QR code, it can get you to the page where the questions will be, or if for some reason you don't know how to do that, just type polev.com backwards slash LLUC into the address bar in your web browser. So I still see some phones pointed up this way, so you're still getting to the place. We found out this week it takes just a little bit longer than we had thought, and so I'm kind of slowing down. And, and while you're finishing up, let me just say, um, we haven't done quite as well as we ought to have uh, in these quizzes, so we'll make up space, make up ground today. All right, so hopefully you all have it. Polev.com backwards slash L-O-U-C. If you can't get the QR code, see a couple of you still trying to do that. Okay, so we're going to go to, sorry, I'll get out of your way. We're going to go to question number one. How many of the gospel writers refer to Jesus as a carpenter? How many of the gospel writers refer to Jesus as a carpenter? All right. Well, I'm always a little bit suspicious. Somebody might have looked in on first service, but I doubt this crew would do that. <laughs> but you got it right, too. Matthew and Mark are the only two that refer to Jesus as a carpenter. So we're one for one. Number two, Jesus' preferred name for himself. That is, the name he used most often to refer to himself was... Son of man, son of God, 
prophet, servant, or Christ. Son of man, son of God, prophet, servant, or Christ. Wow, son of man is running away with it. 78%. You are correct again. Two for two. Number three, only two Gospels tell the story of Jesus' birth. Only two. They are. Matthew and John, pardon me, Mark and John, Matthew and John, Mark and Luke, Matthew and Luke, or none of the above. So which two Gospels? All right, nobody's going for Mark and John at all. Okay, there we got one. It doesn't even have a percentage point on it, but anyway. All right, you are correct again. Matthew and Luke. This is a brilliant group. All right, number four. How many magi, that is wise men, how many magi visited Jesus a little while after his birth? One, three, five, seven, or we don't know. One, three, five, seven, or we don't know. All right, so we don't know, and three are the closest. We're going to cut it off. We don't know. That's correct. They brought three gifts, so tradition and legend have been busy with them, but we don't know how many. And finally, only one miracle performed by Jesus is recorded in all four Gospels. It is the resurrection of Lazarus, stilling of the storm-tossed sea, the healing of the invalid at the pool of Bethesda, feeding of the 5,000, healing of the invalid lowered through the roof. All right, so way ahead, feeding of the 5,000. Five for five. That's pretty amazing. Not that I'm suspicious or anything, but that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Very good. Now, that's what we want on our multiple choice quiz that we're taking in this series, this camp meeting, because making decisions out there in real life is often much more complex than doing it here. I read of a guy who said how he had decision-making skills, and I thought, that's me. He said, I have all the decision-making skills of a squirrel crossing the road. You know? And uh, I thought, boy, that's me right there. It's tough to make decisions. It's hard, especially as you're making keystone decisions. So what are keystone decisions? Well, you know what a keystone is. If you can picture a rock arch, and I think we have a picture. We weren't sure if we had it in this morning. There we go. All right. So the keystone is the top stone. That's the keystone. It's the one on which the entire arch depends. You pull out that keystone, and it's all over. The entire arch collapses. Everything depends on that. Those are the kinds of decisions that are keystone decisions in our lives. The ones that, depending on how we make them, will move our lives in one trajectory or another. Key decisions. Make a wrong decision there, and you're in real trouble. So they often say the three most important keystone decisions are the God you worship, the spouse you marry if you choose to marry, and finally the career you enter. Keystone decisions. Today I'm going to suggest that the God you worship is maybe the most important decision of your life and will form all the others. So we're going to look in on Matthew. Matthew, who makes this keystone decision in a rather simple and yet surprising way. Now, Matthew, many believe, is the same Matthew who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Some contest that, but I think there's good reason to believe that. So we're going to look in on Matthew. He's called in Mark and Luke, Levi. In Matthew, he's called Matthew. And thus, we often know him as Levi Matthew. Matthew chapter 9. 
We're going to look at just one verse today. Just one verse that shows him making a keystone decision. As I read and reread and lived with that verse this week, I kept wondering, is it possible that another name could be written in there besides Matthew? And then I got to wondering, I wonder if your name could be written in that text. But let's read the text. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. It's so terse, so succinct, so short, that many Bible scholars say there has to have been more to the picture. They had to have met somewhere. Maybe Matthew was in the crowd listening to Jesus teach. Maybe he had had opportunity to ask him questions. Maybe he had, he had seen him perform some of his acts of love. Who knows? But they say there must be more than just this. This is just too succinct. Now they, wait, they may well be right. They may be absolutely right that there's more. But this is all the text gives us. Matthew is sitting at the tax collector's booth. Jesus walks by and says, follow me. And he gets up and follows him. It's really quite stunning. Last Saturday night, and I saw a lot of you there. It was great to have you there at Drayson Center. I fell into conversation with a physician who's part of our community, Paul Herman, who has a real interest in theology. And he said, you know, there are a couple of words in that sentence you ought to pay attention to. And so I went back and spent some time this week, and he was right. So the word that is translated sitting, Matthew was sitting at his tax collector's booth, literally means sitting. <laughs> but it has greater nuances than that. It has a nuance of being idle, of hanging out. You got life under control. You're copacetic. All is good. That's Matthew. Life is coming to him because of all of the taxes that he not only collects and delivers, but he collects and keeps. The other interesting word there is the word behind those two English words, got up. He got up. Well, they mean got up, but there's something more than that. Because those are the same words that are used at times to describe a resurrection of somebody being brought into being. And so you have Matthew thinking, I've got life by the tail. And Jesus comes along and resurrects him to true life. It's a keystone decision. And it just left me wondering, is there a possibility that other names could be written into that text? Maybe even yours. Rembrandt von Wren, that great artist, painted the scene of the crucifixion of Christ. And the ones are there that you would expect. Jesus is on the cross, the soldiers surrounding him, gambling for his garments, the people who mocked him, back in the shadows, maybe disciples who are hiding. But then down in the lower right-hand corner, there's one figure that you at first don't recognize. But on closer inspection, you realize it's Rembrandt himself, painting himself into the scene. And it just left me wondering, 
Could your name be written in that text? We can certainly put other names and it would be true. For example, we could write the name John in that text. John, a colleague of Matthew's. And Jesus walked by and said to John, follow me. And John got up and followed him. And followed him. And followed him. John outlived every other apostle, lived for decades, and he just kept following. You know John. John, the one that Jesus called the son of thunder, gives you kind of a sense of who John was. John, the one who, when the Samaritans just lightly crossed him, said to Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven? We'll destroy them. But John's name got written into this text. And he just kept following. So that decades later, by the end of his life, he's now stooped, leaning on a cane, roomy eyes, long gray beard. And he's saying things like this. The one who says they love God that they've never seen, but hates a brother or sister they have seen, is lying. He said things like this. The one who knows God loves. And the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. What happened? Well, Jesus walked by John and said, follow me. And John got up and followed and inscribed his name in the text. We could write the name Zacchaeus there. Zacchaeus was a tax collector just as Matthew was. Zacchaeus' name means pure, blameless. Well, that may have been a parent's dream. That may have been what they said at his child education. But that was far from the reality of Zacchaeus. Slimy, sneaky, shrewd. Listen to New Testament scholar Stuart Weber who writes just this one sentence. Tax collectors in general were known for their greed and lack of conscience, so they were thought of as the lowest form of humanity. That's Zacchaeus. And yet Jesus walked by the tree in the branches of which Zacchaeus was lodged. And he looked up at him and he said, Zacchaeus, guess who's coming to dinner? And Zacchaeus climbed down the tree and followed him. In fact, by the time the dinner was over, Zacchaeus had his checkbook out and was writing blank checks, handing them out to people and said, however much I took from you, however much I defrauded you, multiply that by four. Write it in the blank line. And they stood wondering, is this check hot? We have to bounce it to the bank? But they weren't. Because Zacchaeus wrote his name into the text. Jesus walked by and said to Zacchaeus, follow me. And he got up and followed him. 
And it just left me wondering, could your name be written into the text? We could write the name Francis Collins into the text because Jesus walked through the National Institutes of Health, walked past the doorway that said Francis Collins, director, and said to him, follow me. Those two words are powerfully threatening. When you're the director of the NIH, when you have headed up the Human Genome Project, when you are a best-selling writer for the New York Times, when you are deeply devoted to rational inquiry and the scientific method, and suddenly you somehow hear, echoing through the, the hallways of your mind, the Galilean-accented voice of one who says, follow me. He tried to escape it. But it kept coming back. It didn't always sound like, follow me. Sometimes it came disguised in other words. Questions, for example. The questions the patient asked him that day, Dr. Collins, what do you believe? What do you depend on? And he said, I went home that night just feeling like I had stuttered and stammered and stumbled. And somehow, rather than hearing those words, it's as though those two words kept echoing. Follow me. Thus began a long process. A long journey, questioning and doubting and believing and falling back that culminated in the pristine beauty of nature. Collins, who as a medical student had prided himself on his atheism and said, I'm so thankful that I don't have to get complicated about life by asking questions about God. Now he stood surrounded by the beauty of nature and said, I was beginning to, as it were, see the fingerprints of God everywhere I looked. Follow me. His own words. He writes, I had to make a choice. A full year had passed since I decided to believe in some sort of God. And now I was being called to account. On a beautiful fall day, as I was hiking in the Cascade Mountains during my first trip west of the Mississippi, the majesty and beauty of God's creation overwhelmed my resistance. As I rounded a corner and saw a beautiful and unexpected frozen waterfall hundreds of feet high, I knew my search was over. The next morning, I knelt in the dewy grass as the sun rose and surrendered to Jesus Christ. And Jesus walked by the director's office at the National Institutes of Health. The one who led the Human Genome Project and said, follow me.
And he hesitatingly, questioningly, doubtfully stood up and began to follow. And it just left me wondering, do you suppose we could inscribe your name in that text? Because after all, right alongside Francis Collins, we could also inscribe the name Fyodor Dostoevsky. Fyodor Dostoevsky thought by some to be the greatest writer of all time, certainly the, one of the greatest Russian writers of all time. Fyodor Dostoevsky, who caught the eye of Tsar Nicholas I, who believed that Dostoevsky and some of his cronies were caught up in insurrectionist activity, and so in a broad sweep, he swept them all into his grip. Intent on ending this, they received their sentence, the sentence of death. They were herded out in the early morning light, were dressed in those white robes of death, were manacled and were transported to the place of execution where they were tied to the posts where they would face the firing squad. The moment came. The rifles were cocked, raised, ready, aim, and at that precise moment, a horseman galloped into the square shouting, stopping the proceedings. He brought with him from the Tsar a stay of execution because, you see, the Tsar had only intended to inspire terror. He now commuted their death sentence into 10 years' hard labor. Dostoevsky would later say, having looked into the very face of death, I now counted life the most precious reality. He never forgot that. He clung to life ever after. As he was boarding that train to Siberia, a devout, pious Russian woman pressed into Dostoevsky's hand a copy of the New Testament, the only book he would be permitted. Dostoevsky said, I took that New Testament and over the next 10 years, every chance away from hard labor, I devoured it. It became a part of my very life, my very existence. By the end of those 10 years, my convictions were so deep, my adherence to this one name, Jesus Christ, was so strong that nothing could have separated me. In fact, this is the sentence that Dostoevsky would write about that. He said, if anyone had proved to me that Christ was outside the truth, I would have preferred to remain with Christ than with the truth. That's how deeply wedded together they were. And Jesus walked by Dostoevsky's Siberian cell and said, Fyodor, follow me. And Fyodor gratefully, passionately arose and followed him. And it made all the difference. And so Dostoevsky can inscribe his name into the passage.
it just left me wondering. Could you write your name in the passage? I know another name written in the passage. Jesus walked by the home of a young pastor, newly married, and said, follow me. It's not that I had never heard that voice or those words before. It's not that I had never responded before. But it was from a great distance, protected by religion. And I said, it's hard, Lord, to follow you, carrying so much baggage. How far are we going? And it was though he said, as though he said to me, over there, just 10, 12 miles from where you live, is a Christ-following therapist. He'll help you unpack that. And he did. He, he was good at unpacking. Unpacking. Long, hard, painful, scary, really scary. And then, and then next week, he'd say, you, 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 you've repacked some of this. What, what's this doing in here? <laughs> Then he said, there, you, there may be an accountability group, somebody that you are with, with whom you do life. They might help you keep from doing all this repacking. They did. It was hard. Times I hated them. Times I clung to them. Follow me. I'm powerfully moved by what the eminent British New Testament scholar N.T. Wright writes. Write about these matters, about choosing to follow Jesus, about having our life direction turned around, about being transformed. He says there are two varieties. One is what Wright calls the classic alarm clock story. The alarm clock goes off, piercing the night, Bam, you turn it off, you jump out of bed, you're awake, you're ready for the day. It's not terribly common, but it does happen. Saul of Tarsus, intent on his way on the Damascus road, on persecution and killing, and suddenly the heaven is ripped apart and the bright light pierces to his very soul. He falls on his face. The alarm clock has sounded. He will never be the same again and never look back. Alarm clock says right. John Wesley who on Aldersgate Street at that meeting says, my heart was strangely warmed, could po point to the moment, the meeting, where it happened. Alarm clock. That's not me. Wright says, there are other stories where the awakening comes slowly, 
You wake up and you go back to sleep. You hit the snooze alarm and hit it and hit it. You're awake and asleep and dozing and it may take days, weeks, months, decades. But you awaken to a new and a different life. You do it in a group with a therapist as you unpack. There are still days when I doze. But there's no question in my mind that Jesus walked by that house said to me, follow me. And I got up slowly with fear, pride, and said, let's just keep a little space between us. But I began to follow. Inscribed my name in that text first in pencil. It was later in pen. And it just left me wondering. Do you suppose your name could be written into that text? And Jesus walked by Anthem. Saw you there. And said to you, follow me. And you. It's a keystone decision. The arch of your life is being built. That can be the keystone that holds it all together. Without which it may collapse. So we've been talking about such things, this camp meeting series. Talking about standing at the fork in the road. How do we make the decision? We've been taking a multiple choice quiz. What will be the most important element to you as you make your decision? Will it be option A, character? Your moral and ethical fiber? Will it be option B, counsel? Who has your ear? Will it be option C, composition? What makes you tick? Will it be option D, compassion? I already made the wrong decision. Or will it be option E? All of the above. I need all of these. All of these realities are key to the decisions I am making. If that's you, then I'd like to change those words, all of the above, those four words, and suggest that you could actually put another word in there, and that word is Christ. Because when you get Christ, you get it all. So you stand at the crossroads.
Jesus walks by anthem, looks you in the face, says, follow me. It's a keystone decision. Can you write your name in the text? Jesus walked by anthem, said, follow me. And you, and you, and you, gracious God, we hear the invitation from our places of doubt, disbelief, fear, selfishness, pride, all those places. What's amazing is that you just keep calling. Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to get up and follow. And to you, friend, I want to ask you to do something for me. Before the sun sets, on another Sabbath. Take your favorite Bible. Open it to Matthew 9, 9. And write your name in the text. Amen. What a time of worship. I hope you were as blessed as I was to be here. We wrapped up the final sermon in this series with Pastor Randy. We are so excited about it. We hope you've been blessed by this entire series. Uh, and now we step into what's new, what's coming, and what, is, what, is, what we have been preparing for and that the Lord has been preparing in our hearts for what's next. Just as a reminder, there's an easy way for you to be a part of this ministry. This ministry does not occur without you, and that is by giving, by giving of funds. Yes, all of what we do ends up costing money, and we believe and, and have seen the Lord continue to provide, but it still requires your partnership. Two easy ways to give. You hear them every week. Text 77977 and uh, text the word LLUC and the instructions will be sent to you or jump on the website LLUC.org slash give. Find the Anthem tab and give there. Um, additionally, we're really excited about seeing you next week. And for keeping up with all the stuff that's going on, including all the stuff I mentioned, the October 2, uh, 2 services, the October 16 luncheon for students, please follow us on Instagram, at AnthemXLLUC. I'm certain it's on screen here somewhere, so please jump on that. Follow us there. We want to hear from you. Send us a DM. Let us know how your, how your week's going. Let us know what we can pray for. Let us know if you want to get involved. We are here for you. We love you. We are thankful for you. Thank you for joining us today. Have a beautiful week, and we'll see you next week.